Experiences are what people love most about travel. With Viator, you can browse and book tours and activities so incredible you'll want to tell your friends. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. Viator has experiences in over 190 countries. There's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Viator lets you keep things flexible. Use Reserve Now and Pay Later to secure the activities you don't want to miss without being locked in. Whether you want to take a backstage tour of the Grand Old Opry, a Miami Bimini Bahamas day trip by ferry, or a private guided tour of the Grand Canyon, Viator is for you. Download the Viator app now and use Viator 10 for 10% off your first booking. One app, over 300,000 experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity, the show where my beautiful wife Nikki and I look at the news of the week and um, try to help Christians make our way through this ever increasingly secular world. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to help Christians keep their focus on Christ and how we can live a life that's pleasing to our God. So, thank you so much for joining us. And every good episode, Needs to start off with a relatable quote. (laughs) So today we got one from Roman author Pliny the Elder, who said, Avarice, the lust of avarice, has so totally seized upon mankind that their wealth seems rather to possess them than they possess their wealth. Mm. Well said, Mm. Pliny the Elder, not that idiot Pliny the Younger. This is the Elder, (laughs) who actually lived at the time of Jesus. So that might be what he's most famous for, was just being around at the same time as our Lord. So, I've never heard of the name. I have heard of Pliny the Elder, although I don't know why. Um, But there you have it. We are talking today about avarice. So we are making our way through the seven deadly sins. And if you care to find out what we've talked about thus far, we've done an overview of where the seven deadly sins came from, what they are and why they exist. And then that was two weeks ago. And then last week we looked at vainglory was Mm -hmm. the first deadly sin. So we're going to be diving into avarice this week. But before we get to all that, we're going to take a look at the news and go through some prayer requests and all that. So do you have anything you'd like to say before we get started? Um, sorry, I have a cough drop in my mouth. <laughs> That's good um, for podcasting. <laughs> it's real life. Um, yeah, just pray about our moving situation. I know we've brought it up before. Um, just that you have opportunity to move to several different cities. Could be an hour apart, but it's like we like the location we're at because of the people we've met and the churches that um, we visited and the one we go to. And I just don't want to leave the community um, that we've gotten to know. And But it seems like impossible to find an affordable house around here. And the houses that we could afford are like an hour away. And so I just pray we could stay here, that God will make a way. Um, 
Yeah. No, definitely. We keep asking you guys to pray for this and we still need you to pray for it. So it looks like my future is sort of being crystallized a little bit. Um, we talked last week, uh, our prayer report or praise request, wait, prayer request, praise report, <laughs> um, that my religious accommodation had been denied. So we're still working through that process, but that's sort of crystallizing what my future may look like, which results in me not being in the military. So that also in you know impacts what sort of home we can afford because mm-hmm. we don't know yeah. what the future looks like if I lose this job. So we want to you know we don't want to dive into a house that I can afford today but can't afford in in a few months kind of a thing. So yeah. that's something that we just need prayer about you know and we went and saw a realtor and like God bless the man we kind of wasted his time but. We went and talked to him and laid out what we were looking for, although we didn't even know what we were looking for. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'll be emailing you guys, keeping in contact. And we haven't even opened a single email he sent to us. We're like, to even look at these houses just is so depressing. But we're starting to come back to the realization that like, okay, we actually need to start getting the ball rolling on this. And I'm still holding out hope that the military, you know, starts to uphold their promise of, you know, spiritual pillar being important to us. So I'm still holding out hope that this appeal will get approved and I can continue serving as I have for the last 16 years. So, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, but just keep us in your prayer. So before we dive into the news and then we've never done an ad on this show and this isn't going to be an ad, this is going to be a free plug for a business that I really want you guys to, uh, reach out to and give a look at. And they're called Cardinal Solutions. And the reason I want to plug them, and I'm going to plug them probably every episode, this isn't your, you know, typical get some American raised meat or some, you know, delicious protein bars. This is (laughs) a company they're trying to, I pulled up some notes that I wanted to give to you guys, but they're contingency consultants, which is kind of a weird term if you're not in the military space. Like, what is a contingency consultant? But these guys, they are quite literally the best in the world at training contingency. They are the people that train Green Berets. They're the people that train special forces units that travel to every hellhole around the world. And they are incredibly well qualified. And what they're doing is essentially taking their expertise and their decades of experience and giving that and teaching it to civilians to local they work with our local law uh law enforcement they work with our local government teaching them counter messaging and exploitation contingency but really their heart and the reason why they started this business was to work with god-fearing men and women missionaries non-governmental organizations like doctors without borders mm-hmm. because those are the people i mean everybody needs this training but I mean, so often we have missionaries that, and God bless them, they go all over the world to every nook and cranny trying to spread the uh, message of our Savior, but all they really have is some biblical training, and maybe they can say, hello, how are you, in a native tongue, and that's it. So they want to teach these people, how do you actually prepare if you get in a bad situation? How do you keep yourself from getting in a bad situation? How does your team know where you are? How How can they find you if you become you know, uh, disconnected from the group, all these sort of really important things. And they have a, a myriad of ways that they can help you. Uh, 
So this isn't going to be some spam email. Reach out to them. The, oh, I have the website right here. And I forgot to pull it up. Team Cardinal, they'll be in the show notes. Just go send them an email. If your church has missionaries, if you know you want to talk to them about what do you do in the case of an active shooter situation? How, do your, how does your church handle an active shooter situation? What if you got BLM riots outside of your church building? How do you deal with that? Right. These are all contingency situations. And they had a couple of points, you know, they kind of go off of and they use a little app uh, acronym. So just awareness, just kind of looking at your situation and giving you digestible information, you know, on how you can plan and prepare for any given situation, like a missions trip, Um, the planning process where they'll go through step by step. um, How do you respond to an emergency? And then just the preparation and training. So this is a completely customizable experience. If you need just a Zoom call to talk to someone, they got you. If you want uh, an expert to be on the ground with you in Central Africa, (laughs) they got you. Uh, You better have the pocketbook for it, but they got you. So this is a completely customizable solution. All you got to do is reach out to them. They have something that can help you and make your team better prepared for this crazy world that we're living in. I'm sure some of these churches in the Ukraine would like to have some contingency training right about now. Mm-hmm. So Cardinal Solutions, they're awesome. And better than that, they're <laughs> God-fearing men that are running this business. Mm-hmm. They're so God-fearing, in fact, they pay their tithe. And that puts them <laughs> in the top 5% of God-fearing men in this yep. nation, as we've laid <laughs> out many a times in this episode or in this show. So uh, go give them a look. Uh, I don't think you will be disappointed. And anywho, now is the time for our weekly trek. I got to come up with some theme music for this. Our walk (laughs) through the valley of the shadow of death as we take a look at the news. And there was really two stories that sort of dominated all of the news this week. And that was obviously Ukraine and Russia was first and foremost that dominated all of the news. But then also, President Biden gave his surprisingly, (laughs) it's only been his first State of the Union. He's only been in office for one year to this point. Let that sink in. And (laughs) this was his first State of the Union. So we're going to cover just, we wanted to look at the Russia-Ukraine thing and just kind of talk in simple layman ter- or layman's terms about how we got to this situation where Russia is um, invading the Ukraine, right? And then we're going to go through some of the president's State of the Union. We both actually sat and listened to the entire State of the Union. Not even the, the cool videos where they cut out all the clapping. We listened to the clapping. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so if our heart's broken, that's why. So with that, let's get into this first story, honey. So if you want to read, and again, all these notes will be down in the show, or all these links will be in the show notes. So you can go check these stories out yourself. But if you want to just read this quick history on the tensions between Mm. Russia and Ukraine. Okay. The tensions between the two countries trace back to the collapse uh, of the Soviet Union in 1991. Ukraine and Russia were among the 15 republics that broke free and formed their own governments. But President President Putin has always maintained Ukraine should be part of Russia. In the days leading up to the 2022 attack, he told the Russians, Ukraine 
is an inalienable part of our own history, culture, and spiritual space. These are our comrades, those dearest to us, not only colleagues, friends, and people who once served together, but also relatives, people bound by blood, by family ties. Yep, and then just this last paragraph. Uh, President Putin retaliated by taking over uh, Crimea. Not sure if I said that right, but Crimea. Crimea, a former Soviet republic that had been part of Ukraine since 1954. That same year, pro-Russian militants established a stronghold in the. I didn't ask you how to pronounce. Donbass. Okay, thanks, Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. The Ukrainian government gave the separatists self-rule in the region to end the conflict. However, the militants did not get the complete independence they wanted, and sporadic fighting between Ukrainians and the Russian separatists continues to this day. Yep, so then that obviously... Oh, sorry, if you want to just read this last paragraph. One last paragraph. Okay. In his February 24, 2022 pre-dawn address to the public, President Putin asserted that Russia could not feel safe, develop, and exist due to what he claimed was a constant threat from modern Ukraine. The Russian leader is particularly concerned about Ukraine's desire to join the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. The purpose of this consortium of 30 countries is to guarantee the freedom and security of its members through political and military means. President Putin believes that Ukraine's acceptance into NATO would threaten Russia's borders and its sphere of influence. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot more in these history um, notes. And I'm going to link, sorry, a second article here that we'll touch on just briefly. But this one's from CBS News, I believe. That It also covers back a lot farther. You know, Russia and Ukraine goes back to the 1700s um, with their intertwined relationship. Obviously, they share a border today. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so just in a nutshell, that's sort of what led up to where we are today when Russia has decided to ultimately invade. I believe when it first started, what I had heard is they were just looking to fully take this Donbass and I think it's called like the Luhansk regions. They were just going to take these two regions. It looks like they just obviously sort of dismissed that and decided, why don't we take the whole country? Um, mm. And that's what they're doing now is they move in on Kiev uh, and all these different cities. So one of the things, cause they touched down here that Nikki just read, you know, in this paragraph here where president Putin talked about how this NATO sort of potentially Ukraine, potentially joining NATO could have this influence on Russia and Ukraine isn't a part of NATO, but they've long sort of desired to be a part of NATO. And I think there's, there's been talks. It's never formalized into anything, but they've wanted to. And this CBS article, they have this paragraph down here that I thought was interesting. Um, it says, before Russia started its invasion, Putin demanded that NATO rule out admitting any new members from among the former Soviet states, most importantly, Ukraine, and that NATO forces pull back from positions in other countries near Russia. The U.S. and NATO rejected the demand uh, to preclude any new member as a non-starter. And listen, i do not going to say Russia's the good guys here. Putin is a killer. He's a bad dude. But 
in this sense, if you're looking at the world through Putin's eyes, I don't blame Russia for this demand, right? For saying, listen, I don't want NATO creeping into Ukraine and creeping into our border, um, you know, threatening sort of their leadership, uh, their way of life. And I'm not saying that Russia's leadership is at all ideal, <laughs> um, but from Russia's point of view, and really from my point of view as a Christian, I would say neither is ours. Um, our culture, our Western culture isn't ideal, I don't think, in the current state of the world. As sinful as our Western cultures have become, I don't blame Russia. I mean, I do blame them ultimately. They're the ones going to war and killing people. But from at least that mindset of being like, hey, man, NATO, we're asking you not to creep in on our borders. and it looks like you're cozying up to Ukraine. We're not, you know, we're going to stop that. So yeah, if I was in Putin's shoes and I was a <laughs> former KGB agent killer, I probably wouldn't be okay with it either. So it's not surprising. It's bad. We're not, you know, advocating for Russia to invade Ukraine, but it makes sense from their point of view. I can see. Um, but you know, looking at it from Russia's point of view, like I'm not even necessarily a big fan of global alliances. I think it's largely led us to this place of a almost completely secular culture. Um, and I don't believe that the culture in America or largely the West is really anything that we as Christians should be advocating or trying to promote around the world. Like we need to get our own house in order before we start spreading what our culture is. Like are sex-addicted, drug-addicted, self-obsessed, yeah. greedy culture. Yes, we have some things that are nice. Most of them we dismiss nowadays, the stuff in our constitutional documents and you know the founding based on our <laughs> faith in Christ. Most of that we've dismissed anymore. So trying to promote whatever this is, um, you know, I wrote down here like rampant consumerism, greed, sexual immorality in every shape and form. Mm -hmm idolatry and worship of any and everything other than God. Like, I'm not a big fan of that joining forces with other nations that think the same way and trying to promote that around the world. Um, like freedom, sure, we want to promote that around the world. But even yeah. here in the homeland, like, we've done nothing but lose freedoms over yeah. the last 20 or so years. Um, and not to mention the people that are leading our country seem to be completely okay with allowing European nations and those leaders to sort of decide what's acceptable. And then we just follow their lead. Um, this is why America always sort of seems to be trailing Europe in sort of social mat, uh, matters. It's because we're just like, oh, what's England doing? Yeah, we're, you know, we're going to, I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, I don't know. I obviously don't agree with Russia. Don't want them to do that. They're not a good country. They're not led by good people. They're certainly good people in Russia, but their leaders are not. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think that ours are in a place to be like, you know, holding the moral authority over anybody in today's world. That's it's a true. shame. We certainly should be. We have all the reason why we should be able to, but we've just done away with it all. And we're like, you know, just completely sinful and on our national leadership level, yeah. you know, from what I see. So, um, and then this next, where is it? Let me see if I can find it. Oh, right here. Because this really stuck out to me. 
Um, it says, but the world's most powerful democracies have struggled for years to keep Putin's myriad nefarious actions in check, from claiming Crimea to poisoning dissidents on British soil and blocking UN sanctions against the Assad regime in Syria. So, yeah, I mean, we've all, if you've been aware of the news, right? Nikki really hasn't been following this too closely, but Russia's been doing largely whatever they wanted for years because they don't really care, right? And I think the thing about this is strong men don't fear weak men. In Western societies, at least in my lifetime, with the short exception of Donald Trump's presidency, has been led really by either outright been led by women in the case of like Germany and these countries, or just effeminate men. Mm -hmm. And strong men do not fear weak men, and they certainly don't fear uh, women. And I would say President Putin is a strong man. Um, so say what you will about Donald Trump, but he was a strong man. Yeah. And I think when President Putin looks across the world at the West, like, what does he see? Mm. He sees probably a lot of strong militaries, but they're led by weak men. So they're basically, their hands are tied, right? And frankly, a lot of strong militaries that are being poisoned by these globalism and these secularist values, you know, we have humans that really have, like, I think just generally humans, right? We have no real passion to sort of go and fight and die for others' causes if they don't really affect us. Um, and I think this is probably why, you know, our country, we haven't had a real worthwhile military endeavor really since World War II um, that really affected us in the homeland in some major way. Um, we did briefly during 9-11, but that quickly went away. To where mm-hmm. people on the homeland felt threatened. Um, so, I mean, we've won some wars and some skirmishes, but nothing really real. Um, and we just lost a war in Afghanistan. And I think, truthfully, if you polled military members, you know, about why, hey, why were we at war for the last 10 years? I'm not sure many of them could really give you more than just a canned answer about, you know, combating violent extremism and stuff. But like that passion where you could probably say D Day. 1942, right? When they bombed Pearl Harbor, not D-Day, I'm sorry, but when they bombed Pearl Harbor, Mm -hmm. um, and that like, that shook us to the core and people are like, we're about to go and give these people everything they wanted, but that's been gone from us. So Putin looks across the world and he's like, yeah, what are they going to do to stop me? This is why he took Crimea, uh, Crimea in 2014. Who were the leaders in the West? Um, you know, I'm sure you could like Barack Obama, but I don't think he struck fear into the hearts of leaders around the world. Um, and now here we are, what, eight years later, and he's taken more of the Ukraine. Cause I think much the same thing. He looks across the world and I'm not saying that they're necessarily, they are effeminate leaders or they won't do anything, but I think that's the impression they give off, right? When you're constantly beating the drum about, you know, LGBTQ issues, and that's your big calling card, and you know, all these sorts of things. And Putin's looking across the world and he's like, Yeah, now might be the perfect time. You know what? Let's not just take these two regions. But, in, you know, and to our credit, I guess we have really hurt the Russian economy for whatever that's worth. I guess we'll see how it all shakes out. But I just thought that was important to say because, as sad as it is to say, I don't know that our country is necessarily the shining example 
for the rest of the world to be like, oh, look at the moral superiority. I totally of agree with you when you're saying all that. And like, what do they see when they look at us? What is the important things uh, to the American people? And it's inclusiveness and, you know, I need a safe space. And <laughs> I swear, the same day that Russia was moving into the Ukraine, like literally that same day, I sat through a briefing and the headline of the briefing from military leaders was inclusivity is lethality. I was like, are you kidding me? Like I was expecting William Wallace to come riding out on a horse and rally the troops. Got none of it. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's surprising. It sucks. We got to pray for the Ukrainian people, but you know, pray for the people in Russia that want this to come to an end as well. Cause I'm sure there's good people in Russia too, that, you know, they're at the behest of their leaders and, you know, they're going to be suffering these sanctions as well, even though they may not have anything to do with it. Their mm -hmm. lives and their bank accounts and fortunes are all going to be damaged because of, you know, a few men's <clears throat> desire. So it's shameful all the way around, but you can go check those stories out. Let us know what you think about them. I'm sure I've probably ruffled some feathers about my discussion on America, but aren't we always ruffling feathers? That's our Apple podcast <laughs> reviewers have having a heyday right now, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I mean, I just, yeah. And on that point, you know, because our, one of the knocks on us, right. We're hyper conservative and sure. Yeah, we are. I think to me, if you're a, you know, you are a strong Christian, I think you, especially with the way the political parties are today. And this is not to say the Republican party is something that we would boast about. Mm -mm. I think the Republican party might be worse than the Democrat party. The Democrat party is by and large antichrist, godless, but at least they are what they are. They tell you what they are, what they stand for, and they do it. The Republican party is just a bunch of spineless weasels that just go, Oh my God, did you see what the Democrats want to do? And then they just, let them do it anyways. Like they have no backbone. So <laughs> like who's rooting for those guys, you know? So yeah, we are hyper conservative, not politically necessarily. Cause I think Republicans should be voted out of office too. I think this two party system largely has drugged this country to a place of constant hate and agitation. I don't think it's been good for us. So, um, I know when you're a Christian, you can't say I'm Republican cause you're not yeah, it doesn't mean Christian values. No, I'm to the all. point now, if you have somebody running for office and they tell you they're a, a Republican, you should vote them out of office. Be like, you're going to align with that party, you spineless weasel. Um, somebody bring back the Whig party. We used to have a Whig party in this country. We need a, I don't know. Anyways. So yeah, that's Russia, Ukraine. That's just a little snippet. Obviously, it goes deeper. There's a lot more layers to it. And I'm sure you could go in a hundred different directions about it, but that was just kind of a quick history lesson of, you know, Ukraine's a prior Soviet Union country. Putin's always wanted to reestablish the Soviet Union for whatever reason. I don't know. The big Stalin fan, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, but anyways, moving on to, uh, yeah, just the other day. So... I would be curious to know how many of you actually watched the State of the Union. Was this your first State of the Union you've ever watched? 
Um, I can't remember. I think I've watched one before, but I I've seen them weird in snippets. I've never really sat and watched one start to finish, largely because watching politicians gives me heartburn because <laughs> I can't stand them. And this didn't do me any favors. It didn't make them any better. This wasn't anything that I would be clapping for. I was just. No, that's there my was big too much clapping away. going on. <laughs> well, and that's the way all the state of the unions are. This was not different. It's an absolute clown show. The way that these people behave to think that these are our, you know, when you're a kid, I remember being a kid in like first grade and we had to pick like, oh yeah, I, th- I think it was H.W. Bush or Clinton when I was a kid in like first grade. I remember doing that. Yeah. And we had to pick one. I think I picked Bush because I thought he looked like a grandpa or something. I did too. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Like Clinton looked young or something. I can't remember what it was, but I remember having this idea in my mind of like these statesmen and you learn about Washington and Jefferson and Adams. And you're like, man, these were like Titans of men that lead these nations. And then you grow up and you're like, Oh, like these are the people we send around the world to be our representatives. The, a complete clown show watching these people stand up and clap and boo. And you're like, what a bunch of, I got to be careful before I start sinning with the way I talk about them. Lord, I pray that you would bless our politicians, humble them and reveal yourself to them. But yeah, so just a couple points. I actually, when we started doing this, I was listening to it and I was like stopping it and writing down the time code. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll pull up some clips from the show or from the speech. And then we can talk about them. And within basically the first 15 minutes, I'd written down two pages of notes with timestamps. And I was like, okay, we're just going to have to do a quick summary on this because. Please don't. Let's not waste our time. There were so many points. Let's not. And I'm going to, there was a positive I took away from this that I do want to highlight for President Biden because there was one part of this speech that I really thought he looked presidential in a sense, sounded presidential and sounded unifying. Um, So. Do you want to start? Because I know I've been talking most of this show, but when you, you can go overview, if you can go to a specific point, whatever you want. I just feel like everything he said, if you're just like watching it and he's like making these promises and everybody's just clapping and I'm just like, but I have questions. How are you going to follow through on that? What does that mean? You take from, you know. One side, like, I don't know, where's this money coming from? How are you promising all this? Well, right. And I mean, they, the same way they always promise it, right? Taxes and borrowing, you know, yeah, printing money. So your fair share and all that. I'm like, fair sh- Oh my goodness gracious. Right. There was and, just so many things. And that's, yeah. And the idea of, of this, right. It's the state of the union. So he's going to tell you what he's accomplished to this point. So it's not going to be a really deep dive into any specific Nothing topic. was deep dive. Yeah. No, this but. is all surface level. And it's really a way for a president to highlight to America, hey, look at how great I've been. Um, you know, and every president does the same thing. This, again, is not unique to Joe Biden. Um, it's just like their chance to boast. Yeah, it's, it's essentially it a free platform yeah. to, um, I can't think of the word right now, but to... Like what a politician does, basically garner support, essentially. I can't think of the word. I'm drawing a blank. But it's a free chance for him to get in front of all of America and promote himself for the next election. 
So again, nothing new. Yeah, he wasn't bringing up anything like dividing Republican, Democrat at all. He was very speaking, like unifying. like Right, and that's kind of the goal, right? They'll tell you everything they want to do that you know for the last year, the Republicans, in this case, it would have been the Democrats last year with President Trump. They're completely against on every front. Mm -hmm. But then the president will get up there and go, this is stuff we all agree yeah. on. And you're like, I'm pretty sure they didn't grant any of that. But um, yeah. so, yeah, it's shallow in a sense because they're just like, hey, you know, we're going to like, I think one of the points he mentioned, which God bless him, I hope he does it, but he wants to end cancer, you know, so I'm going to invest and do these programs to end cancer. And you're like, well, what he sure, said was like, it's in cancer? our power. And I was like, is it? I'm like, are you God? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's no, maybe some time down the line, it's in our power. And I hope God does grant like, us the well, ability if it's to in your power. Cancer. And if it's all about money, like he went on about how expensive insulin is, but like how expensive is it to cure cancer? Right. And yeah, I mean, there was a lot of budgetary things that he talked about. Um, one of the things that and this is just a politician thing, a president thing that drives me nuts. He mentioned a couple times that in the last year he had signed 85 bills into law. And in this state of the union, he probably proposed or asked to have brought to him. I don't know. I didn't count, but maybe another 10 to 15. And I was like, good God, man, you've been in office for a year. And I don't think this is unique to Joe Biden. You signed 85 new bills, new laws that govern us people. I'm like, how, I mean, the country's been running for 245 years. How do we still need a hundred new bills every year passed into law to keep us running? Like you think the country would have been harder to run when it started and they were figuring all this out, but it wasn't. They used to be a part-time Congress when we started. Now, and I think maybe that's the problem. They're full-time. They're there all the time, so they got to mm. do something. Let's just pass a law. And so he did go. And I do think there was a couple of things he talked about. Um, one in particular, I think, probably ruffled up his base. So overview of it. He talked a lot about Ukraine to open it. It was mm -hmm. big on the Ukraine and how he's battling Russia and Putin bit off more than he could chew. He wasn't prepared for, you know, just how awesome America was. And all the stuff. And I will say, our, they're just all there draped in their Ukrainian flags. And uh, the show is nauseating. But so that was the first part. He kind of went into the COVID, you know, how they battled COVID. And, you know, we're winning the war on COVID as well. That was kind of his second part of the speech. Mm -hmm. And then he dived into more policy stuff for the back half of it. Uh, more policy issues and things like that. So that was kind of the overview of the State of the Union. Nothing new, probably stuff you would have expected. So like I said, I wrote down a million points and I'm just going to try to see if I can bring up a couple of them because um, <clears throat> he said um, <laughs> really early on in there, he said, oh, and I have, uh, we'll have these linked. So you can go and check out the entirety if you like to read because you have a trouble falling asleep at night and it might sound better in your own brain than it did coming through the speakers of your TV. Um, and there's none of that insane clapping. I mean, they literally stand up and clap every eight seconds. 
it's so it's it's funny too because he's just talking but you see the vice president and the speaker of the house behind him so you see like every time he says something they stand up and clap and then stand up and clap and you're what like what was nancy pelosi doing she was like yeah. did you see her i was like what is she all excited about she like stood up and then she was like oh man i'm gonna sit back down i wasn't supposed to stand up like she looked like she was like ready to hear something and then he didn't say what she thought I don't it know. was really odd <laughs> I, there's things I could say. <laughs> I'm not going to say them because um, this is a Christian show. But pray for our leaders, please. But one of the things he said really early on was Russia and President Putin, he thought he could divide us at home in this chamber is something President Biden said. And I thought, are you kidding me? Like, let's remember that these same politicians who are puffing their chest out, draped in their Ukrainian flags, how dare Putin? They're the ones that very specifically tried to use Russia to divide us at home during President Trump's entire presidency. Remember the whole Russian collusion hoax mm -hmm. that President Biden's party dreamed up and promoted for four years to divide us? He's the one who did it. Like, so it wasn't Putin trying to divide us at home. It was quite literally the party leading our nation using Russia to divide us. And I was like, man, the hubris of these people mm -hmm. to just assume that we all have such short-term <laughs> memory loss that we're like, oh, I can't believe Russia was really, no, it was them. They were, and that's why it's important for Christians. These, I've told you guys before, these people are liars. The truth is not in them. You have to, because when you hear it, you hear these shallow surface level, we're going to end cancer. And you're like, woo, yeah, this is going to be cool. You got to remember who you're listening to. These are godless people. The truth is not in them. So that one really jumped out to me. And I was like, are they kidding me? Russia? Like, you're just trying to blame? That was crazy. Um, and then he talked about just brief, so just going through my timestamps, because I talked about I'm going to take notes and timestamp this. My first timestamp is 2208. Second one, 2219. 2252, like three times in one minute. I was like, hold on a second. And that was basically the entire way 15 minutes went. So again, he starts out by going, we are united. We stay united. <laughs> that was his big hoorah moment yeah. for the country. And I was like, isn't this the same party and the same politicians that have done nothing for the last 10 years, but work but, tirelessly to divide yeah. us on every issue, racism, sexism, everything. What are we supposed to be united on? President Putin could only dream of dividing this nation the way our own politicians have. They've done more damage to this nation and our un uh, unity than any foreign nation could yeah. ever hope to do. So. Mm -hmm. Um, and then again, in that same, so this was all like one stream of thought from president Biden. Cause he said, we countered Russia's lies with the truth. And I was like, this is a party that does nothing but lie I, every yeah. time they open their mouth, including this very statement. So again, any truth that these politicians say to you is by accident. They slip <laughs> of the tongue that the truth comes out. So that's important to know. Um, and then just a few short minutes later, uh, he said that they were fighting Russia 
and through these sanctions, they were fighting these corrupt oligarchs bilking billions of dollars from their citizenry. And I was like, I wonder if they even feel a smidge of hypocrisy when they say nonsense like this. Like everybody in that chamber is a millionaire and they weren't when they showed up to Congress. They're bilking us of millions of dollars. They insider trade. They, I mean, the way that they use their campaign funds in so many other despicable ways that they take money from us to point out the flaw in another country's political, um, I guess, evil or theft, whatever you want to call it, is just nauseating from what our politicians do to us. So mm. uh, we just talked about in one of my daily devotionals, I think it was this week earlier, mm -hmm. the whole um, remove the speck in or the plank from your own eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. And I was like, is this that verse played out on an international scale? Mm -hmm. Like we're going to fight those oligarchs stealing from their citizens. And you're like, are you going to look in the mirror at all? <laughs> Sorry, this is uh, this is stuff that I'm very. Uh, I'm very entertained watching. I'm go passionate. On. I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> I'm passionate because I love America. I guess. I mean, I've served the nation for 16 years. Uh, I'm very passionate about the founding, about the history of this nation, what we've done around the world, and to see what our leaders have led us into really drives me nuts. And then to hear him get up and lie and drive more division and unity gets under my skin even worse. So um, what else did he say? Uh, I mean, I could go. Oh, one of the things, one of the big boasts that he made was um, that he, President Biden has worked with the international community to free up 60 million barrels of oil to be used um, because we depend on Russian oil around the world. So he's freed up 60 million barrels of oil from the strategic reserves around the world. And that sounds really cool. Uh, but I have an article listed here, oil and petroleum from the US Energy Information Administration. We use as of 2018 or 2020, so it might be slightly smaller, 18 million barrels of oil a day. So that's roughly four to six days of oil. That's great. It's not zero. You know, and I didn't think to look up, I wanted to, but I forgot to look up how much oil the Keystone pipeline would have produced in our very own continent. Um, but I imagine it would have been much more than 60 million, but he squashed that. So yeah, that sounds like a cool number. What is it going to do for us? Gas prices keep climbing from what I see. So who knows? Um, and then, oh yeah, he did have a small snippet after the COVID stuff where he talked about the economy, of course. You know, he had to praise his own economy. And at timestamp 3207, because I took this one down, um, he said he makes the claim that his administration created 6.5 million jobs the most in any one year in American history. That sounds like a pretty good claim um, until you realize that 
yeah, we just came off of a two-year pandemic that shut our economy down, unlike anything that's ever happened before. But also, didn't the term the Great Resignation sort of become a thing under his presidency? So like, yeah, but more people are leaving the workforce. I don't know. But then he goes on again to make the claim that, well, the economy's grown 5.5%, which is the fastest in 40 years. But again, due to his own government's intrusion over the last two years and forcing the economy to shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're growing 5.5% from the worst economy in the history of our nation. Yeah. Great. Well, I he mean, says they overcome every crisis that comes their way. And I was thinking, yeah, you cause all the crisis. <laughs> yeah, and that's important. To, and I, we can't keep going through this. This episode's going to run forever. And we want to get I didn't Everest. even look through all your notes. That is a lot. Because there's a multiple <laughs> times throughout this where he talks about his economy or his government overcoming or this was a problem and we're fixing it. It's important to remember President Biden has been in the Senate mm. or the White House for oh, five God. decades. So any problems, any tax problems, any infrastructure problems, any whatever problems he is directly uh, responsible for, mm-hmm. quite literally. So he's literally. fixing his own problem. <laughs> so that's the thing. These are the same politicians, the Mitch McConnells. Again, this isn't a Democrat-only problem. The Republicans are as much to blame as anybody. Nancy Pelosi, all these people, they've been in Congress since dinosaurs walked the earth. All these problems are their problems they've created. So why do we assume that they're going to fix them? They haven't fixed them for 50 years. What's going to change today? So it's important to remember that um, just on a Christian point of view, I do want to point out some stuff on a Christian point of view before we end this. He does go on to um, praise and show his deep support for women by urging Congress and the Supreme Court to uphold Roe v. Wade and even strengthen it so that women can continue to kill their babies because that's the way you really support women, especially as a good Catholic, like we're told President Biden is. And then he also um, goes on to talk about how somehow there's an onslaught of state laws, apparently, that are targeting the LGBT community. Apparently those exist, just like systemic racism supposedly is it, exists, <laughs> but you can't find it written on any, uh, anywhere in any laws. Um, but then last one for Christians here, uh, President Biden is looking for new laws, again, to combat that onslaught of state laws, right, um, for the LGBT community. So what he says is, so transgendered Americans can reach their God-given potential. God-given. And I was wondering if maybe that potential starts with them coming to terms with their God-given gender. Probably not in his mind. Mm. So um, that's our Catholic president really going to bat for abortion and transgenderism. So that's awesome. But we're so united. (laughs) Yeah. And Mm. yeah, I mean, there's a million different things that I written down here, you know, Anyways, we'd love to know if you guys did suffer through this state of the union. First off, we want to know why. Why on God's green earth did you sit and listen to this? But also, if you did, what did you think of it? Um, no, oh, let me end on this. So the positive. We do want to hear from you guys. What did you think of it? 
did you take anything positive away from it? Um, the one positive that I thought where he looked presidential sounded uniting was when he spoke on veterans and what they were going to do for veterans. Now, maybe I'm partial here because I am a veteran. Um, but when he talked about their initiatives to help, um, take care of veterans that come back from war, I'm on the burn pit registry. I was stationed in places with burn pits. Um, and all that sort of stuff. So I thought he was really uniting with the way that he stood up for veterans, um, sort of that was praised because the of veteran. his son, he said. Well, his son, Bo Biden, um, I didn't know he was a major, but yeah, he did serve. He died recently, uh, in the last decade or so. I think he died. But I thought that was a good look for President Biden. Um, he sounded uniting. He sounded um, compassionate, you know, and obviously he lost a son. So pray for him there, you know, because even at 80 years old, even if your son's been dead for 10 years, I'm sure that's still heartbreaking to even talk about. I mean, I couldn't even imagine, you know, you could probably talk to me about the potential of my kids being hurt. And if you talked long enough, we'd probably start crying. So I couldn't imagine at, uh, actually going through that. So I thought kudos to President Biden there. Maybe I'm biased, but I thought he looked really good in that short snippet yeah. on um, what they were going to do for veterans. So that was good there. So, man, I got so many extra points that I'm not even going to get to. So what a waste of time that was. But, um, uh, yeah, I won't read anymore because none of them are positive. But on to our Bible topic, and we may not be able to dive into this as much as we wanted to because we don't want it, this episode to go on forever. But this week... We are talking mm. about avarice. So, um, and why it's a sin. Yeah. So, we made that mistake last week. We never really highlighted specifically why vainglory was a sin. So, let's say it now vainglory is a sin because it seeks to take eyeballs and recognition away from God and put them on you. Mm -hmm. That is a sin. Uh, why is avarice a sin? Well, Jesus explains in Luke 16, 13. Do you want to read Luke 16, 13, honey? Okay. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Yep. So Jesus lays out exactly why avarice is a sin. Uh, when avarice becomes sort of that root sin in your life, you're no longer serving God above all others. Um, mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, you're breaking the first right. two commandments to have no other gods and to have no idols. So that's why avarice is a sin. Um, so again, like we talked about, this isn't necessarily ranked number two in the deadly sins. It's just number two of how we laid them out. So that's the order we're going to go in. Mm -hmm. And um, the definition for what avarice is because this isn't a word that we're very familiar with anymore, but uh, the BibleHub.com dictionary defines it as an excessive desire of gain, greed, covetousness, cupidity, or an inordinate desire for some supposed good. So again, we don't really use avarice as a word too much anymore. Uh, we tend to go more towards the common word of greed or greedy. That's kind of what we tend to, but I don't think greed or greedy is really a perfect um, replacement for avarice. Mm -mm. 
And we pulled this little uh, snippet up from a random website. I don't know, maybe it's not random, but it's called innervarsity.org. And he's discussing the seven deadly sins here. And he's discussing avarice. And he says, do you want to read this paragraph, honey? Okay. It says, avarice refers to an insatiable desire to gain and hoard wealth. It's similar to greed, but goes even further, encompassing such things as selfishness, entitlement, materialism, consumerism, and hoarding. It doesn't, and it doesn't just affect TV villains, of course. We step into avarice when we crave wealth, abuse wealth, and find identity in wealth. Yeah, so that's why I don't think greed is necessarily a perfect translation there. Um, because mm-hmm. I think most people will start at greed. And I think when that sin becomes full grown, then you move into avarice. You know, because greed, like, mm-hmm. right, you want more, you want more money, more time, more stuff, whatever it happens to be. But I think avarice is a sense of like, it can mm-hmm. never be satisfied and that it will go to any length to gain what it's seeking, whether it's money or stuff, whatever happens to yeah, be. Yeah, like you'll this... do crime to get more. Yeah, so like a greedy person, yeah, I want more money, right? So maybe if you ask me for money, I'm not going to give you money because I'm greedy and I want my money. Or right. I'm going to work, you know, whatever. I'm going to be engrossed in work because I want to earn more money. But I think maybe that avarice is like, I'm a bank robber. Like, I'm going to shoot somebody in the face to take their money. Like, mm-hmm. I want it so bad that I'm going to take it from them. Or, you know, to the point where you're like, uh, you know, sort of like these drug kingpins that you see in Mexico and South America, where like, you know, they're leading these gangs and they're murdering people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right heinous right. things, all for more money and more. And you're already like, bro, you're already worth like hundreds of millions of dollars, but they want more and they're never satisfied. I think that's the idea of avarice, where it goes far beyond. Green. You're not even using your wealth to bless others at all. Oh no, like that's you certainly think out of the window. low of other people and only think about how you can consume more. But the thing with it yeah. is like, you're never full. Yeah. Cause I ever. do think greed is certainly a part of avarice. So yeah, when you're greedy, you're not giving your money away to people. Um, you're, you're not blessing them cause you still want it all. You know, you're not, there's no compassion in you. So you're not going to be given any of it away. So you're certainly still greedy. I think it just goes to that next level of like, you're willing to go to any length to acquire. Whereas a greedy person, they might want more money and they may not give you their money, but they're not going to go stick up a liquor store because they want an extra 50 bucks. Like they still have some reservation or some like line they're not going to cross where once avarice takes a hold of you, I think there is no line anymore. Um, and you know, we get this idea, you know, cause we've talked before too that, um, you know, in our previous episodes that the seven deadly sins is not outlined anywhere in scripture, which is why people right. tend to have issues with it. And justifiably, you know, when you start talking about, you know, coming up with ideas and thoughts that aren't, you know, actually scriptural or scriptural, if that's a real word, then I get mm-hmm. why people would push back on a little bit. But, um, you know, the idea of the seven deadly sins is more, and it's pulled from scripture. These are all sins in scripture, but they're sort of lumped together as sort of these root sins. So there's the mm-hmm. seven root sins, which those also are underlying or underlaid with the one overall sin, which is pride. So pride feeds into seven root sins, which these root sins then feed into 
all other sins, essentially is the idea of them. So mm -hmm. uh, we get this idea of avarice from a couple places. One of them, the Apostle Paul warns of, uh, warns us of avarice in 1 Corinthians um, 5.11. You want to read that, honey? It says, but what I meant was that you were not to associate with anyone bearing the name of brother if he was addicted to fornication or avarice or idol worship or abusive language or hard drinking or greed of gain. With such a man, you ought not even to eat. Yeah, so, mm. you know, here the Apostle Paul does seem to make a distinction between simple greed and avarice. So that's worth noting. Right, that they're both in there. You're like, yeah, you know, so they're he seems to define them differently. But also just think of how stern that warning is. I mean, he ends by saying, with such people, you ought to not even eat. Don't even be associated with these people of avarice. And obviously, when we think of avarice to be like a drug kingpin, yeah, dude, like, But sure. these are people who call themselves a believer. Right, which is important to note that even a you know someone who might claim, which again we see this all the time. I mean, I think there's probably still people that say that Adolf Hitler claimed to be a Christian, in some sense. Well, you you're know like, them by their fruit, bro. Adolf like, Hitler was not a Christian. Like, sorry to break to you, he could call himself a monkey or a unicorn, whatever he wanted. He wasn't. So, um, but mm -hmm. even much earlier than the Apostle Paul, King David warns us um, in Psalm. Hmm. Psalms 52, 7. And this isn't in every translation. This was from the Darby Bible, which I'm not even familiar with. But he says, Behold the man that made not God his strength, but put confidence in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his avarice. Hmm. So there again is that idea of why is avarice a sin? Because you can't serve two masters. And here mm -hmm. King that David is saying... Well. Once avarice takes hold, you no longer make, uh, make God the place of your strength. Mm -hmm. It's now your avarice. You're trusting more. It is just trusting in your riches. Yeah. More than trusting in God. And So I think that's important to note. These are scriptural. They are biblical sins. And um, those are just a couple. Of, there may be more. Um, that's just what we pulled up. But um, yeah, so looking at avarice, right? Like how do we see avarice in the world around us today? Mm. You know, I think we've talked somewhat about it, you know, to the extreme, right? With these drug dealers and bank robbers and all this sort of stuff. I think we don't notice it anymore because it's just so commonplace to live these kinds of lives. It's normal. And yeah, it just doesn't stand out. I think because we, we don't have that, that stark difference between a Christian who's really walking in the opposite direction from the world. And we have the lukewarm Christians that are walking the way of the world and it blurs the lines. We don't even yeah. see sin as sin. No. I mean, with avarice, don't. especially like, and that was a in point our culture. That Nikki had brought up earlier. And I guess the thought is like how, I guess, low down the totem pole of like sinful lifestyles do you, would you say you still live in avarice? You know, cause obviously you say, you know, you're El Chapo in Colombia, you're living a life of avarice, right? That's a sin. But, you know, we talked about earlier today, just 
you know, Americans, right? We, this idea of this insatiable need of like consumerism and materialism to where maybe your desire to live this abundant life, you know, that's, you know, in practicality, so far above where you can actually live your actual station in life. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that you're causing yourself and your own life harm because we know that debt is a sin. Um, the Bible's clear on that. Being a debtor is a sin. So, I mean, to what point, you know, there's people in this country that have tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt and not all of it's good debt. A lot of it's just credit card but debt. It's to the where, heart issue. Why you got into that debt in the first place. Are you trying to yeah. put off a certain image? Um, and appear that you're wealthy because you can hide your debt. Nobody knows the debt you owe. You come off like you got your life together and yeah. people praise you for how well you're living and they want to be friends with you. And so you're not just accumulating wealth, you're accumulating friendships with people who might not even be your friend if you didn't appear to be wealthy. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, again, we'd like to hear from you guys if we're off base here, but would that be considered low enough where you're living this debt sin lifestyle so much to the point where this like insatiable need to show that you're better than your actual station in life. Um, again, mm. because your station in life, God has you where he wants you, right? God is sovereign. And if he wanted to bless you with abundance, he would bless you with abundance, right? But you're like, nah, screw that. I'm going to bless myself with abundance. And to the point where, yeah, you're running in massive debt, all these sorts of things. So is that more of like a lower totem pole or is that below avarice where you would say, nah, that's, that's debt, that's sin, but it's not avarice. Um, but you know, even this idea, cause he talks in that article about, um, hoarding, you know, mm. and I mean, look around America today, storage units, like think about the business of storage units. We literally have people who make lots of money all, and they've, all over the city you live in, just a place for you mm. to put more of your junk. You can't stop buying the junk and you can't get rid of it once you own it because I might need it, right? So we were just paying money for a place and someone mm -hmm. to go and hold more of our crap because we can't even fit it within the or in the walls of our pretty big houses by and large in America. Like, So is that to the point of avarice where you're just collecting and collecting where we're supposed to be giving freely? Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, that's how the church is supposed to be. Like if someone doesn't have something and you have the extra, but you're like, well, I might need it someday. Well, they need it now. You give it to them now and you trust God will give you what you need from the body of Christ probably Yeah, to meet your needs in practical ways. So yeah. Is that again to that level of avarice? I mean, again, we don't know avarice is a tricky one a little bit here. Um, uh, but so on that, as we, you know, are running long here, what's the counter to avarice? Because as we talked about, and as the formers of the seven deadly sins kind of laid out, there are countering virtues that are said to, you know, a certain virtue that counters each of the seven deadly sins. Um, and the virtue that they decided combats avarice is said to be liberality. Um, and again, so that's a word we don't really use in this context anymore. Um, so sort of the definition of liberality is just the quality or state of being liberal or generous. So liberal sort of being free, right, is the idea. It's that more classical liberal idea. 
and um, being liberal in thought and opinion too. Right. So I think that's huge. How, what you thoughts. think of yourself. I don't know. Yeah. So, so that's what they determine. Or others. Um, mm-hmm. But again, much like Jesus laid out the idea of avarice as a, why it's a sin, he also lays out the um, the the countering virtue. And we actually, again, just did a devotional kind of on this entire section was my whole last week of devotionals. Um, so if you're not listening to those Monday through Friday, five-minute daily devotionals with mm-hmm. religionless Christianity, I encourage you to listen to them because sometimes we uh, lay the groundwork for the episode. But in Luke 6, 29 through 35 is where Jesus is telling us, you know, if to turn the other cheek. If someone asks for your tunic or your cloak, give them your tunic too. Um, give without expecting anything in return. Like he lays it out, I think five different times. He talks about giving your stuff away without expecting anything in return in just those six verses. Um, So Jesus lays out the counter and that's liberality. Give freely, right? Don't expect anything in return. Don't hoard stuff for yourselves. If somebody wants something, give it to them and just expect that God's going to give you something, you know, give you enough in return. Mm-hmm. You know, that you don't need to hoard stuff. It really is just showing your trust in God being your provider. Because when you think you are your own provider, it takes you to wicked places to get what you want. Really yeah. can. I mean, because that's the whole, I, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but the idea of hoarding, right, is like, I may need this. I have to hold on to it in case I need it. I or can't even get holding rid of on it. to like something that's junk. Because you might need that someday. It's like, Most of the stuff we have is junk. Oh, anything you bought at Walmart, by and large, is junk. Um, but we can't get rid of it. So that's, again, the idea of this liberality. Be free to give stuff away because you realize God gave it to you in the first place. Um, but, I mean, I think, you know, this idea of uh, avarice and stuff, I just think it's... Yeah, I think it grabs all of us a little bit. You know, yeah. In certain, I guess, depending on where you look at, you know, the hoarding idea, we're all into consumerism and materialism to some degree. And we've all probably gone to the point, I mean, debt, especially if you consider being in debt, um, avarice. And yeah, we've all certainly. Um, I think when people go into debt to like get a vehicle, even if it's just like nothing great and you're like not trying to appear wealthy. I mean, just having a car doesn't mean you appear wealthy. And no, so I wouldn't say your heart is in the wrong place, getting a loan for a car or even for a house, like just having any house doesn't matter where, like we're going to need a loan. Like, well, right. We live in a culture nowadays where debt, I mean, maybe because we've been such a sinful culture that debt is just baked in nowadays anymore. Yeah. Um, or maybe that's just part of Satan's plan to put us under the yoke of our creditors. And um, either way, it's taken hold of us. But it's easy to put everything else, um, you know, on a credit card. Once you have, like, the two big ones on there, you're like, oh, what's a few more things? <laughs> so I can see how it um, can accumulate, you know, little by little like that. Yeah. When you're in it. And that card. That magic card becomes your God, your provider. It does. Um, 
but you know, we even took down just some notes that like avarice is even in the church. I think, you know, as we mentioned earlier, and I think avarice to some degree might be what leads people, um, it, not to tithe. You know, we've talked on this show a bunch of times that only around five to 10% of churchgoers tithe. So is this that avarice where I, mean, I can't give God this money because I don't have, I won't have enough of it. Like mm-hmm. if I give this to him, then I won't have enough for me mm-hmm. rather than being like, Hey, God gave me this anyways. Um, you know, and I trust that if I give it back to him, that his promises are true. Again, this idea that Christ laid out that you can't serve two gods. So if money is your God, then that would lead you away from being like, if I gave this money to God, I'm probably not going to get it back. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give my God to another God, right? I'm not going to give my money God to another God because this money is what takes care of me. Um, but yeah, I think we need to focus on a liberal, mm. uh, liberality uh, mindset, you know? Yeah. But I think bringing all this up, just talking about it in this way is really showing our own heart. Like just using the word greed, I mean, because we can be like, I'm not greedy, but nobody talks about avarice. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can see how I have that. I might not be greedy because I'll, I'll share with people or I'm not hoarding. Yeah, but getting down to what this really means is really like things are being revealed in my, you know, my heart is being revealed to me. Yeah. How I, it's, you know, it's in there. I mean, obviously, I think these seven deadly sins play a part in all of us to some degree, you know, some more than others, you know, but we all have the penchant for avarice and vainglory and and they all come back to a heart issue is what it is yeah i mean they all come back to a heart issue and they all lead into other places like you talked about if you have a avarice um if avarice is a sin that's taken hold in your life then you know that can lead you into a place of you know the far end you know murder and killing Mm -hmm. but envy and covetousness and anger and distrust and all these other sorts of things idolatry to where this root sin of avarice is leading you into. So again, if you're only focused on the symptom, right? Oh, you're idolatrous of money. You know, we're going to pray that you stop, you know, being, but you don't get down to the root of like, nah, man, they have this insatiable need to like collect and hoard. And, um, they, they have idols in their life that they need prayer again. If you don't get down to that root sin, then you're just sort of curing symptoms. Um, but you're never really uh, solving the big problem, I guess I would say. Yeah. So do you have any last thoughts before we get to our sermon recommendation? No. So we forgot to reach out to our wonderful uh, Facebook group for sermon recommendations. So Nikki listened to a good, this is actually a pretty short episode. It's not a real sermon. It's more of a... Just practical teaching. Practical Christian teaching. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned this church just two weeks ago when we did our Deadly Sins, the Cross Church, which is right in our own neck of the woods, we just found out. But this one is called Parenting in the Pew. So if you want to describe it, honey, because you listened to it. Yeah, it was really good. It was like a lot of things that we already have talked about with our kids. Just, well, because they... um. 
they keep the kids in the service with the parents, which we agree with. I don't, I don't agree with, well, he doesn't either. We've discussed it, but sending your kids into a different building and having a whole different teaching, a whole different worship than the parents, how that is a family experience. The kids seeing you pray, the kids seeing you worship and, um, yeah, that's just an important thing for the kids to be a part of with their parents. But anyway, how to handle the kids in the service. So things like when the pastor's praying, you close your eyes and you bow your head. And some prayers can be long. So it's kind of, he's very, like, he's just real about it. He's like, I know sometimes prayers are long. It's hard Our for kids. pastor prays an incredibly long time. <laughs> like incredibly long. So I I feel him. So our kids, they they just can't sit still. They can't have their eyes closed that long. Or so we're just giving advice. Like little kids have them color or draw. You know, it's hard for kids to sit still. Or I mean, these are all things our kids do, and we we get after them. So I was like, I'm so glad he's bringing this up because this is what other parents are going through as well. It's not just us. So like kids yeah. wrestling running in the church, just kids being kids. And it's not about, his point was like, church shouldn't be a place where kids are told what they can't do because they're there not to just sit through it and suffer through. Like they're there to worship as well. They are there to pray as well. You're not just bringing them with you. But he also brought up a good point how you're, because you're going to church Sunday, the Lord's Day, it starts the moment you wake up, not the moment you get to church. And so you teach your kids, um, like prepare them in the morning when you're all getting ready. So you're not like fighting and rushing out the door and arguing in the car on the way to church. You know, just you get up earlier knowing, you know, that's just how it goes on Sundays. It's like, hurry, hurry, hurry. Let's get to church now. Let's behave perfectly. (laughs) But I mean, it's good practical advice because I mean, we're advocates of kids being in the service with you. And it's sort of the idea I think that Paul talks about with like, we have freedom in Christ, but what is this freedom for, right? It's not so that we can sin more. It's so that we're free to follow him Mm -hmm. and follow his commandments. And so yeah, you're free to run around church and act like a maniac with your kids all over the place, but you should be teaching them that, yes, we might be free to do this, but how should we behave? Mm-hmm. We should be reverent when the pastor's teaching. Mm-hmm. We should be listening intent- or attentively. We should be praying to God because that's what we're called to do, right? So that's what we're doing now. We're praying to God and you know, you should be considerate of others. So if your kids are screaming and throwing a fit, we don't want you to leave, but maybe just step out for a minute so that you're not distracting yeah. everyone else. So there's simple rules and it's like, you know, yeah, it's we're just free order to, in the church. To we're sin supposed to have Christ's order. blood washes us clean, but we shouldn't just make it a habit to sin. We should be constantly yeah. trying to work our way out of sin, right? To follow Christ because we love him. So it's the same mindset in mm-hmm. church. And I think they're just good, simple rules. Um, and it's nice to see a pastor talk about this because I don't know how many pastors feel free to be like, yeah, hey man, when you're in my church, you need to be paying attention. You know, because your kids so, under control, yeah. Because you're trying to talk with people, and the kids are like running around, and you don't, you might not notice it because you're just so used to 
your kids acting like that at home or you can block it out, but it you don't realize what a I bother can't it block is. It, out. <laughs> you it don't makes know. me Okay. It's a real bother to other people. Even at home, I can't t- block it out. But <laughs> it's a very like anti-seeker sensitive, I think, mindset, which yeah. is refreshing. Yeah. That, like, hey man, there's order here. Cause you don't want your church to be disorderly. Um, you should have right. order in the because people the coming in visiting are gonna be like, What is going on in here? Yeah. So you know? you're walking that fine line of not being disorderly, but you also don't want to be completely rigid as a church. So I think simple rules yeah. and it's refreshing to see someone talk about it. So yeah, I like give all the it a listen. It's up. only like 13 minutes yeah. long. Um, so 10 practical ways to help train your kids during the service. What yeah. it says. Parenting doesn't stop when you get to church. I'm so. like, there's 10 things that are going wrong. I thought it was only three. <laughs> Probably like a hundred for us, but <laughs> As we get ready to wrap this episode up, honey, is there anything you would like to say? Um, no, I just want to, I just really want to hear from you guys. Um, anything you see in our culture or things you could just sharpen us on if there's, yeah, like, I just feel like this would be something I want, like, I want to be sharpened on this. I want to know so I can repent and... I, I really, once you see that you're in sin, that you weren't even aware was sin maybe because you're just so stuck in the culture still, of which we, I'm sure we are in so many ways. Like, I want to get out of it. And I know it'll sting a little when something's revealed to me, but it's glory to God. It pleases him yeah. for us to come out of it. When you see your sin for what it is and you want to stay in it, that's just you're choosing which master to serve is what it is. Like, I want to, I want to get out. So I just want you guys to get on there and get on here and discuss with us, you know, leave a comment or get on our discord channel. Yeah. Um, you can find those links down in the show notes. If we want to hear from you guys. We want your prayer reports or your prayer requests. We want your praise reports. Um, and we need to hear your sermons too. So if you listen to a good sermon, a good podcast, a good anything. Um, just throw it up on our social, let us know. And, you know, we're happy to plug your church. We're always looking for a sermon to include every week. And we don't want to get stuck in our rut of the same people we listen to all the time. Cause we know that there's, you know, a lot of good pastors out there preaching. So please engage with us. We would love that. Uh, pray again for the situation in Ukraine and Russia. God hears our prayers and he acts on them. Uh, so Please be praying for them, not just the Ukrainian people. They need prayer, but the Russian people as well, because they're going to be suffering because of their leaders, um, their leaders' decisions as well. You know, there's a lot of Russians that are going to be suffering uh, unjustly because of the decisions their leaders have made. So pray for them as well. Uh, pray for our leaders. Uh, we talk to you all the time. They're godless people, but they don't have to stay that way. So pray that God would humble them because as Jeremiah reminds us in his book that we need to pray for the land that we're in because that's where we find our well-being. So we need to pray for our leaders, pray for our land, that they return back to the Lord, um, humble themselves to him and start getting our country back on the right track. That is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just search your own self out for avarice and greed, vainglory, um, and these other things and start ridding yourself of them. Don't just say, Hey, well, you know, Christ's blood washes me clean, you know, cause the apostle John tells us that like, if 
if we are true Christians, if we say that we follow Christ and we follow his commands, mm -hmm. we live the way he tells us to live. So it's important if we're going to call ourselves Christians to start cleaning ourselves up. Um, and then again, that whole verse of pull the plank from your own eye so you can clean the speck, that's not Jesus telling us not to judge people. It's Jesus telling you, hey, get your life cleaned up so now you can go and clean that speck out. It's a call mm -hmm. to action. Mm -hmm. So go clean your life up and then go and help your brother clean his life up. That's the idea of it. So mm -hmm. just do right. that. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. But until then, Monday we'll be back with some devotionals. Please go give them a listen, listen share them with people. And um, that's all we got. God bless. Mm -hmm.